Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. In the last almost three years, there have been quite a number of incredible stories that I've come across and been able to unbox. And this story that you're about to listen to is another one of those profound and really, really moving stories. Pat Bradley serves as the founder and CEO of Crisis Aid International. In September 2000, Pat witnessed the results of the genocide in South Sudan firsthand and knew at that moment doing nothing was not an option for him. His helplessness turned into action as he returned to the United States to raise money for starving people in no-go zones where starvation, disease, and danger are a part of everyday life. I mean, if you think about the things that Pat has actually seen and, and witnessed you look at Western cultures and the things that we are actually experiencing on everyday uh, basis, we have got nothing, and I mean nothing, to really complain about. Pat soon returned to provide bags of rice to Sudanese people in need. It was a humble beginning turned into life-saving efforts for people in crisis living in 11 different countries. In 2002, Crisis Aid was officially incorporated. Once Pat took that first step to do, do something, others quickly joined in, enabling Crisis Aid to deliver a wide variety of resources over the years to countless people. Together with its partners, Crisis Aid has provided more than, get this, 26 million pounds of food, served 3.9 million adults and malnourished children, and 2,500 sex trafficking victims and high-risk youth helped, and he's helped the youngest being well, the youngest person being just four years of age. Pat has a new book out called "Born for Rescue," which I highly encourage everyone to go and get a copy of. Uh, it is if if this story captivates you at all, then really this is just a taste of what is to come 
in his brand new book, Born for Rescue. So from being stopped by men with AK-47s to rescuing girls stuck in prostitution in the red light district, which are the no-go zones, Born for Rescue highlights the distance crisis aid is willing to go to make sure people know the love of Christ. So my friends, I don't want to continue talking too much, but I do want to say go and get a copy of his book. It is highly, highly inspirational and profound, and it'll give you a sense of reality of what is actually going on in this world. Pat is one of those just downright, even though he's he's achieved so much, he just serves with uh, a willingness uh, and someone who I look up to. And if I can be anything remotely close to him in my own life, then that would be saying something and I would be incredibly happy. Um, but yeah, my friends, I hope that you enjoy this one and you get a lot out of it. Please do share it around to all your friends and your family. Don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, is now out in the world. Reviews are coming in and thank you all so much for those of you who pre-ordered. If you haven't got a copy yet, you can go and get one now. Uh, available wherever books are sold. There's Amazon links wherever you are in the world. Thank you to my UK friends that ordered and, and got it to number 49, I think, in the charts, which was just absolutely astounding. Um, so if you haven't got your copy yet, go and get one. Links will be in the show notes below too. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Pat Bradley. Well, thank you for having me, Jay. It's an honor to be on your show. It's an honor to have you here, my friend. I won't mention the my stuff up <laughs> that we had just before this, uh, but it is great to have you here. Uh, first time that has ever happened to me, believe it or not. Uh, but uh, anyway, we won't we won't make mention of that too much. But anyway. I wanted to ask you my very first question, which is, what does success look like for you? I think for me, success really boils down to this, Jay, is that I just have an, an inner peace and an inner assurance that I'm following God's plan for my life and that he is pleased with what I'm doing. It's really that simple. How do you, or where does that come from, actually? Where do you... Where does that peace and that understanding really come from, you think? Does it come from God? You know, it really, come, it just, it really comes from, you know, I've been, I've been saved, as we call it, in the far, since 1985. So it's been a long relationship. And it's just, it's something that just comes over time. But also it comes over, I've learned just to trust that what God says is true. And that what he says about me is true. And then I can listen, and not only listen to that still small voice, I can hear it. And I have to believe that I can hear that. So many people don't believe that they can hear the voice of God when, when God is really speaking really clear. We just got to slow down enough. But we have to believe also. And if we don't believe it, we'll never hear him. Even after you've witnessed some crazy human atrocities and things like that, you're still able to trust God. You're still able to trust that his word is true in your life. Yeah. It's, it's like, what choice do I have at this point? You know, it's, it's what I have seen over the last 20 years and, and, and the 15 years prior to that also, but 
God has never really let us down. You know, we, 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 like you said, we have seen horrible things, just absolutely indescribably horrible, but behind it all, I know there's a God and I know that this is not these horrible things. I mean, this is really hard to, to verbalize and to put into words. You ask really good questions, um, <laughs> but you know, like, how do you, like that first trip to Sudan, I remember hearing a woman talking about watching a soldier take her baby by the arm, by the feet and slamming it up against a tree, like with a baseball bat. And, you know, you ask yourself, well, how can God be, how can there be a God? But, you know, the, the other side of that, there's also a saint and, and, you know, he is the God of this world. And so I just have to choose to believe that God is good and God is a good God and he's going to lead me. And those people are living in really horrible, wretched conditions, girls in red light districts. I just have to believe he sent me to them to do something. And then he will help us do whatever it is that he sent us to do. Has your faith in God been tested at all? Oh, yeah. <laughs> More times than I can count. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's funny, you know, Jay, it's like, it's not it's not the... When you got a gun pointed at you, it's not when you're standing in front of a warlord or, or you're in Afghanistan surrounded by Taliban guys and you're meeting with their leader and trying to get food from them. And it's none of those times that you really, you, you wonder about that. Sometimes it's just in the small things, everyday things that happen in life and you get into your familiar zone, your normal life, and you kind of tune God out. Where when you're over there in those situations, Sometimes it's God's the only thing you can tune in because you don't know what you're going to do next or say next. Yeah. So yeah, it, it can come and go. What is the, the worst experience that you remember being a part of in, in the last, I don't know how many years, over 20 plus years. I'm racking your brain. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, you, you you get to a mother in Africa who's living in an area that's that's fam that's in the middle of a famine, and and you get there the day after her child died, and you got food in your car for that family, and just to see the look on that mother's face is just horrible. Um, but one that comes to mind immediately was we were in this red light district, and we had taken out five girls. We had them. We were walking them out to our van. We had six or seven homes at the time. And I mean, we were so overcrowded. It was like, we didn't know what we we're going to do with these five that we had. And it was like, well, we're going to put them, let them sleep on the floor for a few days. And my staff was like, we got other people sleeping on the floor. What are you going to do? But we can't leave them. But as we were leaving, getting ready to get in the car, four or five more other girls come running up with their little bags. And they heard we were in the red light district. We got pretty well known in there. And they come running up and I, I we couldn't take them. And we had, I had to leave. I told him, we'll come back tomorrow. We'll be here tomorrow. Meet us tomorrow night. And how I felt. And when I look back as we were pulling away and just to see the brokenness and they were sobbing. And I mean, I felt like, I felt like about that big. I felt absolutely horrible. And, and, uh, um, we went back the next night and we never found them. I've never seen them again. And I still wonder to this very day. And it was probably eight years ago. What happened to them? But I remember I was really mad at God for putting me in that position, you know, because I didn't want to have to feel that. I don't want to experience that. 
But it also did something to me, Jay. It just gave, it made me so resolute that I will never, ever give up. And I'll never leave another girl behind. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, at the end of the, and, you know, at night, I mean, that's one of the worst ones for me personally. Was that moment you just described, was that sort of for you, did you feel like giving up in that moment? Or was that more of a, I can't give up? moment it was more of a you know i i try to my relationship with god is i just you know i'm just going to be transparent with him because he already knows what i'm going to say before i say it anyway so i might as well just say it i was really mad at god and i was like i'm you know if this is what you're gonna do i'm just i'm done with this i'm not i am not putting myself through this and after i got over you know after 15 20 minutes i got over and realized how ridiculous i sounded um you know, put myself through this. Well, what about those girls? You know, we need to be here for these girls. And so that, uh, yeah, I think God probably just shakes his head at me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think he shakes his head at all of his children sometimes. Yeah. Uh, like I know he's done yeah. that many times with me. Um, yeah. It's just been a crazy roller coaster ride of life. So many ups and downs, mostly ups, I would say. But those down moments, it's interesting how you always, well, this is me. I, I tend to just point it back to God and say, it's your fault. Like, uh, why am I in this terrible place in my life? Why didn't you get me out of it? But I, I don't think that it's our our job to question God why, but instead we should be asking him what. What are you trying to teach me? Yeah. What are you trying to show me? And we get it so confused because in the moment of struggle or the moment of pain, that sort of constricts us and we feel like yeah. there's nothing else, you know, and, and the only thing that we can really do in that moment is complain. And then not just complain yeah. to ourselves or other people, but we just complain to God and blame him. So I've been mm-hmm. in that, I've been in that experience many, many times, my friends, so I can, I can relate. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> No, but I think that um, in some crazy way, God appreciates the just the random transparency and honesty we have with him. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right about that because it's also interesting in that in those moments afterwards, after I've gotten over myself, <laughs> I've learned that yeah. in failure, you learn humility. Yeah. And to get on your knees and just ask God to really guide you properly. And I think that is a serene moment because we can be so egotistical and proud in life and we can forget that the one that really controls everything. Like you said, he already knows what we're going to say before we've even said it. He knows what we're going to do before we even do it, which funny enough also leads me into Good segue, Jay. Thank you. I'm praising myself here. <laughs> Into uh, your your work at the moment, right? Your crisis aid, you know, was this something that you always saw yourself doing growing up? No, never. I was, uh, how the story goes, the book goes into a lot more detail. I just kind of hit some of the highlights of it. But after I had gotten saved and I had given my life to Christ, that night, I didn't even own a Bible. I read a book called God Smuggler. It was a story by Brother Andrew and, and what happened. He recently passed away. Yeah. He did, yeah. Yeah, he was a hero. I mean, I got, in fact, I got to spend a couple weekends with the guy. 
life-changing, changed my life. Um, But anyway, um, I had prayed and I said, God, if you can ever use me to help people like that, I'm making myself available. And so that was in like, I'm going to date myself, but uh, it was 1985. And so in 1989, I found myself making my first trip to the Soviet Union, smuggling in Bibles. That was the beginning of my working with the persecuted church. And I was a businessman in marketing and advertising. And so that went on through the 90s. I would take my vacations time and um, I would do that a couple couple weeks a year. That was fine with me. I was was meeting what I felt I needed to do. Um, it was allowed me to run my business. I had at one point we had four locations, 185 employees, uh, four different part four partners. You know everything was just booming. And so in 2000, though, I went to South Sudan and we went on a trip, and that's where it it that's where Crisis Aid really was birthed. So in that very first trip. It was a fact-finding trip, and, and um, I explained about, you know, I went into much more detail in the book. But from that trip, that led to another trip to South Sudan. We started bringing food and relief. And then when 9-11 happened, about eight weeks after 9-11, we were on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan, and it was at midnight. We were getting ready to go in Afghanistan. Um, and, I mean, we're standing outside a hotel, and this, I literally I heard this voice say to me, I want you to start an, another a new organization. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, I knew exactly what he's talking about. I was like, start another nonprofit, a new nonprofit. And I mean, I was busy with work. I was busy with family. I was busy with our business, with doing the work we were doing in ministry work. And I just thought, Lord, the last thing the world needs is another nonprofit, another organization. No, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I had this little back and forth with God. And, uh, he finally convinced me, said, I don't want you to build this organization. This organization is not to be like modeled after other nonprofits. You're going to build an organization that's different. And I'm going to help you build this by bringing the right people with the right skill sets at the right time. So you're not having to do it all. And I thought, okay, all right, we'll try that. We'll see what happens. And that was the birth of crisis aid, uh, standing on the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan at midnight ready to go on to who knows where. And that's when God spoke to me to do that. So that's how crisis was born. If you can take me back to 2000 for a moment, I know it's a little while ago, um, and share with my audience what exactly you, you saw when you were there. We saw genocide up close and personal. We saw things that, here's what happened to me, Jay. When I came back from that trip, I didn't talk to a soul, my wife, my children, my employees. No, I, like, I couldn't talk for two weeks. And everybody thought I was losing my mind. I thought I was losing my mind. Well, hindsight 2020, I was just processing everything I had saw. And it was, you know, it was so much, it was so beyond anything I had ever experienced and never even thought I would rub up against much less be in the middle of some of it but it was just you know the absolute human suffering that was going on and how people were just doing this to each other killing their their own citizens um and, and just the brokenness of it all and and just you know and i look you know i get i think looking back on it too it was just 
you know, God was showing me at that point, like in my own heart of hearts that you have to allow yourself to be broken if you want to get into the kind of work I've got aligned for you to do. I didn't know that then, but looking back on it, I see now how that was a big instrumental part of me because if I had sealed myself off, I wouldn't be doing half the things we do today because what is birth? Everything that we've ever started was, you know, your heart just breaks for somebody. Like we got into sex trafficking because we were in a red light district and there's one girl. I was like, we can't leave you here. And we're walking out of there with her and going, what do we do with this girl? We had no idea, no plan, but God had a plan. He chose to send us there at that point in time to bring that girl up because that would be the beginning of something. Yeah. And so as I, you know, look back in time and, and see that it was a really hard time in my life, but I see how it served me also. Before we go more forward into your story, I wanted to ask you about brother Andrew, because you mentioned that you got a couple of opportunities to spend time with him and then you were able to smuggle Bibles, uh, which is a crazy next level experience when you're doing it in a communist country. I mean, the level of fear and like nerves, did you feel all that? Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> On the very first trip, I would thought I was going to be, I, I thought I'd be locked up in the Siberian gulag and never see my family again. I was so afraid. When we got to the border, it was like, oh my gosh. And you were with Brother Andrew during that whole experience? No, no, I was not with him. No. I got to speak. He, he came to our church as the main speaker for a mission conference two years in a row. So I got to be his host for two for for the weekend. So I got to drive him around and I had you know eat with them and stuff like that. So I had a lot of one on one time with the guy. What's the the one lesson that you remember the most that he, that he taught you? He asked me a question, and this is what he asked me. We we're sitting in a stoplight. He said, "Pat, do you mind if I ask you a question?" I'm like, "Sure." And he said, "Why do you think God chose to have you be born at this time in history in the richest country in the history?" history of mankind. Why do you think he chose you to be born now here? I'm like, uh, so I could have a good time. Uh, wrong answer. <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you answer that? I mean, I knew, I knew exactly what he was saying. And, um, but it was one of those things where you, it just solidified in me that my life must be about something much larger than myself and my family. And, you know, again, as I look back on that, I think to myself, it's like God's approval saying, I'm wanting you to think about things differently, not just, you know, from your perspective, but from my perspective. I chose to put you in a place so that I can use you to help other people in a way that I can't use others. And so, yeah. Yeah. Has your life ever been threatened? My life? Yeah. Oh, several times. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Couple times I really can't, couple of them I can't. I'm sorry. What was that? Oh, I'm sorry. My dog's barking in the background. I apologize. Oh, okay. That. Um, That's okay. What did you say? I apologize. I'm going to say a couple of times I can't really go into details because of security issues. Yeah. But I mean, there was a few times that I was pretty afraid. Did you ever have a gun pointed at your face? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a story that you can share? Like what happened after that? Or Well, it was so 
one of the times was we were going into uh, an Afghan refugee camp on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. It was a camp where all the people that were coming over. Now, this was like right after 9-11. And this is where the Taliban were running to this camp and the UN wouldn't go anywhere near it. Um, and there was like 50,000 people there. And jail was getting down 20, 30 below at night. Only thing they could do for the new arrivals was dig a hole in the ground so they could get out of the wind at nighttime. No blankets, no food, no water, no nothing. And these people were coming after weeks of hiking through the mountains and they were in really bad, desperate shape. So we went in and we were going into to um, scout out the area. And so we were driving down this little alley and I mean, there were thousands of people and I mean, there was no room. We were in this little Jeep and it was like two feet on each side, but people were scooting around and around the corner comes this, this Jeep of with, you know, the open sided pickup truck with a machine gun that we had all were so used to seeing on TV on the news. And they slammed on their brakes right in front of us and they jumped out and they had their guns pointed at us. And I thought, we're dead, for sure dead. Nobody knew where we were. And here's the crazy thing. So our translator got out, told them what we were wanting to do. And they said, we want you to follow us. We've been sent here by the camp, camp commander. He knew you were coming and he wants to help you help his people. Huh. Now, to this day, I'm sitting here going, how did that happen? I have no, I have no answer for how that happened, but they, yet they knew. So we got escorted when I thought, you know, they're going to come and shoot us. They escorted us. We met with them the next day. We went and got all of our suit, our, our food and stuff. And then the day after that, we went in there with three large trucks and helped hundreds of people with food, food and blankets. <laughs> That is crazy. Only answer I have is God. God moment. It's, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, there's no other answer. But he knew that we were coming and, um, and you know, and they knew we were Christians. So we didn't, we didn't hide the fact that we were Christians. In fact, we said, you know, we're doing this because we are Christians and God sees your suffering. He sees the Afghan suffering and he sent us over. People in our country gave us money. Because God put a love in of God put a love in their heart for you, and so we came over to, to the money they gave us to help buy you buy food and, and help you in any way that we can. And so it just broke down walls, and it was just a really surreal experience to see how welcoming they became and how much they helped us. What an incredible life, honestly. Um, born for rescue, the title of that uh of the book was that your title or was what's the meaning behind it no it was so my wife it was my wife's title so every time i'm like in somewhere in a hard area and especially in the middle of a red light district and so i always say you know i was born for this this is what i was born to do just this overwhelming sense that i was born to be right here that's like the most crazy thing you could ever imagine because here you are in the middle of a red light district in East Africa. And we were the first white people ever to go into this thing. And it's the closest thing to what hell must be like. And uh, you just this overwhelming sense that I belong here. And so my wife kept saying, oh, what I was saying, well, you were just born to rescue people. That's what we were born to, born to rescue. So we were going to go for that title. But the publisher and I were talking about, it. he said, you know, he said, Pat, he goes, we should call it born for rescue because your background, your alcoholism, the divorce you had, 
how God brought restored your marriage. You needed rescue. And so God rescued you so you can in turn become a rescuer. I thought, okay, I like that. We'll go with that. So that's how the title came about. Was your divorce and alcoholism and all that sort of stuff, was that before uh, you, you became a Christian? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's what led me to Christ was going through alcoholism, her kicking me out, her divorcing me, me losing everything in the world, and then getting sober and uh, two years later getting remarried to my ex-wife. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> the same, same now wife that created the title or yep. gave the inspiration for the title? Yep. Yep. She's my best friend. She's everything to me. That is crazy. Can I, can I ask you the restoration process for that? Like how long did it, it took 10 years, right? But no, it took two years. Actually, you want the real story? I would love the story, the, my friend. I'll give you the real story. So she, she called me at work one day and she said, you need to come home. And I said, I'm not coming home. I'm going out with the guys tonight, which I did like four nights a week. She said, no, you need to come home. And I said, okay. Some told me I better go home. So I went home and I walked in the door and she's standing there with two black plastic trash bags and all my earthly possessions were in these trash bags. I'm like, uh Oh, I'm in trouble. And I was pretty persuasive and can be pretty, you know, good salesman. Let me just say it that way. I couldn't sell her on giving me another chance, whatever. So she said, here's a police order. says, you get out, you have 30 minutes to leave this house or the police are coming and put you in jail. So I left and that night I went out and got drunker than I probably have ever been in my life because I don't remember anything. I just remember waking up in my parents' basement that next morning. Um, and if it wasn't for them letting me back in, I would have been under the bridge for sure. And I, I wouldn't even be here today. So um, that began me. Then, that, you know, that next day I tried calling her. She wouldn't talk to me. And so I ended up discovering Alcoholics Anonymous and I started going to meetings and they said, you know, if you go to 90 meetings in 90 days, it's like going to, to a treatment center, which I couldn't go to a treatment center because I didn't have the insurance. And, and the only thing I had left was my job and that was hanging on by a thread. So 30 days off of my job, I would have lost that. So fast forward uh, about 18 months um, after that night, I was working in a new company and Prior to us getting divorced, like we would borrow money every week from our parents to buy kids food for our kids. We were just dirt poor. And um, so I back then, so I was making, I took a new job. I was making more money, Jay, than I ever dreamed possible. Never did I dream making this kind of money. Became successful in the business world in a really short time in a startup business. But I had this emptiness and um, my kids kept talking about this Tuesday school at their church and I'm convinced it's a cult. And so I decided I'm going to rescue my kids. I'm going to get custody and meet my wife at church one Sunday. And I'm going to go in there and, and I'm going to prove that it's a cult and go to court. And so we went in and, um, it was a Sunday it was really like in July and it was super hot. And I had to, you know, it was like a mile long to get into the parking lot of the church. And so I'm like, this is insane. I've never been involved in a mega church and, so I go in there and I, we get in there and there's more detail in the book, but there's these people singing and praising God, but I see these TV cameras and I'm convinced at that point, oh, this is a cult, this is a cult. And uh, that was going on and on, but then I noticed something 
started looking around. I saw people who look like me, mm-hmm. you know, like these guys got coats and ties and suits and they look like, you know, respectable businessmen. And that really got my attention. And I start watching. And then uh, after the worship was over, they gave an altar call. And I mean, there was a couple of things that happened that I won't go into right now, but I was sobbing. God had touched me so convincingly. I was sobbing uncontrollably. And my ex-wife is sitting there looking at me going like, what is wrong with you? You know, and I, I could not stop. And in my head, I'm going, stop, stop. You're an insane man. Quit this. But I couldn't stop. Couldn't stop sobbing. And so they gave an altar call and said, well, come up here if you want to and give your life to Christ. And I was too proud. I thought, I can't go up there. Maybe somebody I know here would see me crying. Like, I can't go up there. So I didn't go. So it was Sunday. So a month, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, it started the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Monday was miserable. And Tuesday night, which they had Tuesday night school or church services, was, oh, hell on earth. I got to the church that night when they gave the altar call, man, I ran down and I gave my life to Christ. And they, uh, that's when I got the book that night for God's smuggler. Mm. But then about a week later, I got a a call from where my wife worked for a company called Monsanto. And I had to go meet a a manager in advertising to talk to him about a campaign. When I got there, they sent, um, they sent her assistant up and this lady comes walking out of this door and it happens to be my ex-wife. And I'm thinking, oh, she looks pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) And she did. She looked pretty good. Now, before that, I would have just I hated her for what she did to me. I couldn't speak to her. But something changed. And, um, you know, she looked at me and we kind of after her meeting, she walked me out to Eskimo. We talked and a couple of days later, we met for coffee. And six months after that, we got remarried. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now I'm more excited to actually read the book and read all all the stories that are actually involved in it. Now, I love stories like this, restoration, and I'm sure there's countless stories in the book. I mean, this is the story box. And I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Hmm. You know, that's a real... I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that question. What do I love most about myself? Um, it's hard to answer. I, you know, I don't know. I think that I, that's really a challenging question, Jay. Um, I think what I like most about myself is I'm not afraid to take a risk um, to help other people. And I know so many people are afraid of that. They need to see the end before they start the beginning. And I'm like, let's just start the beginning and see where the end comes up. That's kind of my, been my attitude. Um, and I, I guess how I'm, you know, I'm just thoroughly devoted to my wife and my family, but my wife and, she is my best. She's everything to me. And I mean, that woman has put up with some insane things over the years, like letting her husband go to Afghanistan for two weeks. He won't have no contact. And it's right, right when Americans are dropping bombs all over the country, he's running around there feeding people. And she doesn't know if I'm coming back. She has total peace of it. I look at that and my goodness, like she's my faith hero from what she's been through. What was the second part of your question? 
I'm going to bring both of you on. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> should hear conversation yeah. Because all the, there's so much to that. But the second part of the question was, what do you love the most about your story? I love the restoration part of the story. Yeah. Because I remember how bad I was and how far from God I was and how so quickly it changed. You know, it was like, it was a matter of a couple of days and things just changed for me. Now, if you look back on it, you go, whoa, you got, you went to AA and you had all that, you know, a year and a half before you got saved. And you had, no, something in there changed in me. God changed. And maybe I'm going to say he didn't change me. God got rid of some things that I had put over, you know, because the Bible says God has made us before we were even born into what we were going to be. He put our DNA in there. He put his intention for our life in us before we were ever born. So during my life, before giving my life to Christ, I put everything under the sun over that. Yeah. And so I think getting rid of a, most of that stuff out of me so I could just hear and be and, and experience what God had for me is, is the other aspect. I wanted to ask you about, so your new book is called Born for Rescue. Uh, what do you hope for people to get out of this book? You know, a couple of things. One, I want people to understand that God really does have a plan for their life and God will use them. And, you know, so many times we sit in church and we see the guy up there and he's talking about his ministry and stuff. And we put them on pedestals. And, that, and, and really by doing that, we do such a disservice to the cause of Christ because <clears throat> by doing that, we're saying I'm not good enough and whatever God's plan for my life is, isn't good enough because I can never measure up to that. Yeah. Well, I want people to see my life. I mean, we pull all this, we pull all the covers off and, you know, the good, bad and ugly is right here in this book. And I want them to understand if God could use me, he guarantee, I guarantee you he can use them. Mm. And then the other thing I, I think that I'd like for them to do is that, you know, we often, many people think, and I've been approached many times over the years, it's like, you know, I need to know that my life matters. Or I'm, what's my purpose in life? And so many people will say to me, I'm waiting for God to tell me what to do. Or here's a classic one. I'm at the light path that's lights red and I'm waiting for it to turn green. Well, let me tell you something. The light is already green. God's waiting on you. Hey, there's 3000 verses in the Bible that talk about justice, injustice and poverty. Take one of those verses and build your life around it. And you will be in the middle of God's will for you. Because yeah. Jesus said in Matthew, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And he listed a few examples prior to that. But then after those examples, he said, whatever you do, you're doing it, you're doing it for me. So I want people to understand that that's really how God's looking at that, how he's looking at them. He's already instructed them to do that. And then the last thing I really hope people get out of this is um, that I'm not telling what the will of God is for their life, but I hope it gives them the courage to pursue the will of God for their life. Because yeah. so many people are just afraid. So many people are, are uh, bored Christians. They're bored with the Christian lives, bored with Christianity. And I, you know, being a Christian is the greatest adventure on the planet. If you think about it from God's perspective, 
yeah. what he lets us do. He lets us to help determine where people are going to spend eternity. I mean, think about that. Wow. What an adventure we have. Yeah. So, I can't, I can't imagine my life without Christ because God has given me everything mm-hmm. and I, I owe him everything. He owes me nothing. And yet he continues to give. Yeah. So the least I can do in my life as I see it is serve him, give back to him because mm-hmm. my life is better anyway as a result. Yeah. yeah. So I love what you, the second point that you made, especially in today's day and age, knowing one's purpose and knowing whether or not they have value or whether their story really does matter. And I mean, you've seen some crazy, crazy things. So if you're pointing it all back and saying, Yes, I've seen all this stuff, but this is one thing that I know to be true, that God loves you, he's there for you, mm-hmm. all you need to do is trust him. I think that is a powerful, one of the most powerful messages ever, honestly. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that, and we tell this to girls in the red light district all the time, people are like, how do you get them out? It's really simple. We go up to them and go, hey, you know what, God's got a better plan for your life. Would you like to learn about that? So we say, Nine out of 10, you go, yeah, I want to hear about it. And that nine out of 10 come with us. And it's the same for every person sitting in church, just waiting to be used of God. Yeah. He's just, he's got a better plan for you, he's just, but he's waiting on you to act on it. Yeah. And sometimes the, the simple thing is all you got to do is say yes, God, to whatever. He's always knocking at the heart. Mm-hmm. Will you open mm-hmm. and let him in? And it's so simple, but yeah, we complicate it. We make it more difficult than it needs to be. I mean, Mm -hmm. what does Christ say? Have faith like the mustard seed, childlike faith as well. It's not that hard. We just need to learn to let go, which is another difficult thing entirely as I've learned in my life. But once we do, then we can allow God to really take over and then we can start seeing beautiful and fulfilling things unfold in our life. That's what I've witnessed. And I'm only 26, so I've got a long way to go, my friend. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, (laughs) but. No, you're not. not. Well, I was going to say, Jay, I think one thing is we have to learn to believe everything the Bible says. And so many people do not believe that, the scripture, I think it was Paul who said, we were created for good works. God created us to do good work. Why are we here, people? Why am I here? What, what purpose am I here for? The Bible says you were here created for good works for God. And, and we missed that part. And sometimes it's because we don't want to have to do the work that might be involved in those good works. But that's because we put all of our preconceived ideas about serving God ahead of what God is just saying to us. Because Jesus said, whatever you do, whatsoever you do, you do for me. So let's start with those little baby steps. That's it. I love it. Where can people order your book at the moment? Bornforrescue.com. You can go on that. There's a um, it's a landing page and you can click on the Amazon link and, and order it. And hopefully um, we'll sell millions of copies so we can make millions of dollars and rescue more people and help them. Oh, I hope so. I mean, it's for a good cause. I mean, you can count on 
my money a little bit to, to go hopefully a long way. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how <laughs> I go. But uh, I've loved this conversation. My final question for you, uh, this is my all-time favorite question. I love asking okay. all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Ooh. You should send these questions ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) I think... um, Oh, I think I would, it would say this, this person never gave up. He believed God and he wasn't afraid to try. And he sincerely loved people no matter what. I think that's it. Beautiful send off message. Uh, my friend, thank you so much for your time today. Thank your you, stories, Jay. your wisdom, and your advice. I cannot wait to pick up my copy of the book when it arrives and start reading all the incredible stories. But thank you for joining me on the Storybox podcast. No, thank you for having me. God bless you. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 